You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Uh, we're excited, and I'm excited you're here this morning. Um, one of the things Carson mentioned and I, I really want to hit is we're doing this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, and I want to encourage you um, that even though right now it's, you know, the, the craziness of, of this season and you've got Christmas Eve, you know, the services are going to be fantastic. I encourage you, if you're looking for kind of like, we, like a deep breath this season, that's, that's a service to be at. Um, but as we head into the new year, we're really believing uh, for great things in, in this church and in your life. And in um, Scripture, it talks about how uh, there's some breakthrough that requires fasting. There's some breakthrough in life that requires fasting. In fact, Jesus sent his disciples out, and they went out, and they went to, to cast a demon out of somebody, and it didn't work out super great for them. And they came back, and he said to them, there's only some things, or some things require fasting. And so as a church, that is a, a really key spiritual discipline that we want to walk through together. And it's not like you're doing anything for us, right? We talk about the spiritual disciplines. You're not doing it for me. Worship, giving, fasting, prayer. Like, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it because God has given you a tool to draw nearer to him and to have breakthrough in your life. So uh, that's scriptural, biblical. I mean, I have personal testimony of it, but um, the biblical is a little bit stronger. <laughs> uh, but I encourage you to grab one of these. It's also on our website if you go to thebannerchurch.com slash 21 days. And I, we've written out everything, the calendar, why to fast, the call of uh, to fasting, what is biblical fasting, um, all kinds of stuff, including like some samples of different fasts you could do that list it out, some samples of like how to fast, how to work that in your daily life, what that looks like. So I encourage you. That's a great starting point. And if you have any questions, please talk to me about fasting, um, and I can help you with resources, anything you'd like, because um, I really desire for you and for your life uh, to start off uh, 2019 in uh, the right way and start it off seeking breakthrough, not only in this church, but in your life. Does that sound like a good idea? Amen. There's lots of things you can start off with, resolutions, all these kind of things. I think breakthrough is, is, much, is much better. <laughs> Still go to the gym and stuff. That's good. Do that. Um, but hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. My wife Katie and I are the pastors here at Banner Church. Uh, she got me this super loud shirt because I couldn't find a Christmas sweater. But, you know, it feels okay. So thank you, babe. Um, she somehow finds a way to find style even in ugly, <laughs> which is why she married me. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I'm excited. Uh, we've been going through Advent together as a church, and I hope you've enjoyed it because I, I like celebrating some of the traditional things that we go through. And somebody's texting me here. I didn't turn my phone off, so put it over there. Um, but I'm excited to go through Advent because I think it's important, these kind of like traditional things that, that we focus on as a church. And um, at our house, we have a set of candles. And it's four candles, and each candle stands uh, for a different term we've gone through. We're now on the fourth one, and then the middle candles is Jesus, and you light that. On Christmas, it symbolizes um, Jesus Christ, you know, coming to the earth. And we've talked about these different things, right, um, peace and joy and hope and now we're on love. And so you will light the fourth candle as a way to symbolize love. It's kind of these traditions um, that realize, oh, my gosh, we're almost to Christmas Eve, right? And that's what's crazy to me is, like, I, as a church and as pastors, we've been planning for Christmas since, I don't know, August. <laughs> so for us, Christmas is a long time coming, right? And we're kind of in this mode, like, oh, my gosh, like, Christmas Eve is tomorrow. Like, our Christmas Eve services are tomorrow, and it's like, oh, my goodness. But it feels crazy because I feel like the Christmas season has been longer. 
I don't know if it was just colder earlier. How many of you guys have been listening to Christmas music for over a week? You'd say over a week. How many of you have been listening to Christmas music for over a month? Okay, two months. Okay, respect the game. Yes, that's true. I was in Carson's car the other day, and he told me, oh, no, we can't change the channel because Stacy said, come, I don't know, whatever that was, the 4th of July. It's Christmas music until forever. So... Uh, but, I, but I think it's interesting because I, I like Christmas music. It, you know, it sets the mood. I'm not like the biggest Christmas music fan. When I was younger, I thought it was cool to be anti-Christmas music. I was like, oh, Christmas music, ugh. But like, I, I enjoy it. It's festive. My wife listens to it. There's basically only 10 Christmas songs in the whole catalog of Christmas music. And then everyone covers them. Whatever new kind of Michael Buble character like arises from whatever form they pour the mold of basic uh, Christmas into. And he pops out and then he sings the new version. Uh, But there's really only like 10. But I was researching, okay, what are the most famous Christmas songs? So I was curious about this. Um, So I thought I would share with you because why not, right? Okay, think in your brain right now before I read the list. Don't say it loud, but think in your brain. What is the number one, if you said the Billboard top 10, what in your mind is the number one Christmas song of all time or since they've been doing Billboard charts? Number one, think about it in your mind. Think about it in your mind store. Okay, so number 10, Last Christmas by Wham. That's that song. That song gets in your mind. And every year you go, not this song again. But there it is. It's come back. Um, number nine, White Christmas by Bing Crosby. That's like a classic. Um, the Christmas Eve uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, that mashup, right? That super epic one. That's number seven. Number six, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Andy Williams, right? And nine, eight, seven. That was seven. Six is A Holly Jolly Christmas. Did anyone pick that for number one? No. So we, oh, maybe, maybe, Barbara. Uh, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> that Spanglish song, it's still, it goes to the top every time. It's pretty up there. Uh, we're still moving number four, Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms. My daughter loves that song. Uh, she just sings the Jingle Bell Rock part over and over. Uh, the Christmas Song by Nat King Cole, right? Merry Christmas to you. That's a classic. That whole album's good. Um, okay, number two, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. Really? That feels high. Does that feel high to anybody else? That feels way too high. The quality and depth of that doesn't. Okay, we got it, Katie. It's in Home Alone. All right, number one. Okay, who knows what it is? Okay, what, what, I, I want to hear. Stacy. what do you think it is? All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Oh, that's a classic. If you hear that song, it's officially Christmas. Like, someone could play it in July, and you'd be like, oh, okay, I got to get presents going, right? Like, it sets the mood. Also, my favorite videos to watch are them overlaying that song over other people dancing. I could watch that all day. But it's funny because, like, I, I enjoy all those songs, but to me, the songs that really get me are the Christmas carols, right? Like, there's just something about Christmas carols. Like, uh, the other day I was working on a playhouse outside of my house because, you know, I don't know. Uh, and there's somebody came by with a trailer of people, and they were just singing Christmas carols. And there's just something about it, even though they were in the back of a Dodge 1500, that somehow set the mood in the middle of Arizona for Christmas. There's something about Christmas carols that are so powerful. There's something you know, extra about that because of the subject, right? There's just something special about them. There's something powerful about them, right? I think of Silent Night. 
That's one of the songs of the Christmas Eve service. We'll all light candles. We'll have candles. We'll sing Silent Night together. And it's just really powerful. Or one of my favorite songs is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That song is just, it's just something about it that hits me. Hark the herald angels sing, even that song, with the, oh, Gloria. <laughs> even that, once you do it eight times, it still, it still moves, right? There's just something about Christmas carols and, like, children singing that one for some reason because they don't hit a single note. But there's something powerful. And we actually sang today one of my favorite Christmas carols, and that's O Holy Night. I think that O Holy Night has to be one of the best Christmas carols. And it's interesting. I was writing a blog this week, and as I was writing the blog on uh, hope, uh, this song was on while I, while I was writing it. And there's a line in there that I, I ended up putting in um, to the thing that's on our website, and it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I just, I love these lines. It was written originally as a poem, and it ended up becoming and moving and shifting into a song. And so it has this poetic quality. And, and the chorus, we sang it, but one of my favorite um, sections of verses, it goes like this. And I'm going to read it to you, which loses a little bit of its um, impact, but it's still powerful. It says, it says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts, we praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Then ever, ever praise we his power and glory evermore proclaim. See, I love this song. See, I love all I want for Christmas. Like, all that's good. But there's something about this that's got so much packed into this tiny little chorus, Right? There's something when you hear that, it hits you. It's powerful, right? Jesus taught us to love. His law is love. His gospel is peace. He came to break chains. No person is beyond freedom. No identity puts you outside of freedom. Oppression will cease. There's something powerful about when you're singing this because you're singing about the love of God. There's something powerful that's happening this season, something real, something deeper than just the surface level Christmas participation. Amen? There's something that moves us. And to me, this small chorus represents so much of the love that we celebrate when we celebrate Advent, that we've gone through peace, joy, hope, and now we're in love. There's something about this love that's described in this song that is so scriptural. And I want us this morning to really establish and discover more of that love in our life. To leave this morning, my prayer for you is that you would leave this morning with a deeper revelation and understanding of real love, God's love in your life. Luckily, we have the Word of God, thankfully, and, and it comes from there. But I want to pray this morning, and we're going to dive in. If you brought your Bibles, we'll open them uh, to 1 John 4. Uh, but I'm going to pray, and then the words will be on the screen. Lord God, I rejoice this morning that, God, we can come before you. God, that we can come into this place and encounter even more of you. God, that we're taking an intentional moment to discover more from your Word to open the word of God, to let it speak to our lives. So I pray that this morning that we would set aside distractions and just focus our hearts on you, God, because we desire more of you. Move us, change us, shift us, transform us, encourage us this morning. Whatever you need to do, we just yield our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, let's read the Bible together. Let's do it. First John 4, 7. Uh, if you... If you uh, 
brought your Bible. It's towards the back. If you've never opened a First John, you're like, "There's a first. Is that the first? Is that the Gospel John? No, it's after this. It's First John four seven, and it starts. We're going to read four seven through twelve. We'll read the whole thing together. And I just want you in your brain as I'm reading this to think of all the times the word love is used. Ready? It's titled "God is Love." That one doesn't count. Verse seven, beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved and sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That passage says the word love 15 times. He gets it in there 15 times in five verses. That's only three times over. He is just there. The word and the phrase love is in here all the time. And, and I think that we hear that. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's saying love a lot. And I think that we hear the word love. But again, this morning, I desire a deeper understanding of the idea of love. Because love is a term that we use all the time. Right? And we, we joke about this, right? That I'll say, I love pizza. And I'll say, I'll, I love my daughter. But those are profoundly different things, right? They're profoundly different meanings, the same word, we're limited by the same language, and yet if I say, I love, oh yeah, man, I love this pizza, it's great, and then the love I feel for my daughter, we would not put those anywhere near on the scale. The hope would be, I love my daughter greater than I love Papa John, right? That there's, there's a depth, there's a realness, there's a wholeness in that love. But I think nowadays, in our life and in our culture, the word love is used in all kinds of ways. It's using all kinds of slogans, right? Just love. Love conquers hate. Love wins. Love this town. Right? We use the word love all the time. But it makes me wonder, do we know what each other are actually saying when we say the word love? It's, it's kind of like when my daughter tries to explain things to me. Like she's in bed and she hurt herself. I, and so I came running in and I said, what were you doing? And she said, I did a flip. And I thought, Wow. Olympics, y'all. <laughs> but that's, that's not what it was. It was a somersault, but she called it a flip. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out this flip and how to do a flip and help her do a flip. So I'm trying to flip her, and that's not what she wants. So she's yelling at me, and I'm definitely not yelling back at her. And, <laughs> and, and we're flipping, and it's not working. And I think the same thing is true about read upon what it means. Are you with me this morning? And I think the same thing is true about love. And so we have to decide, if, if we're reading this scripture and it's like love, then a couple more words, then love, then a couple more words, and love, then a couple more words, and God is love, and love is from God, and all these things, we have to understand what love is. Because I'm talking about something real this morning. And so what we care about importantly this morning is what does the Bible say, and what is God saying through his word about what love is? That's what I want to open up this morning. The scripture, it starts this in verse 7 that we just read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And it starts with this great phrase, and it's in Greek, and I think I had him put it up on the screen. If Ali can pop that up, because I'm definitely not going to say this right, but 
Can anyone speak Greek? Where's Paula? Yeah, somebody. Um, but there's this phrase, agapitoi, agap, agap, agapomen. Close enough. <laughs> let me tell you what it means in English, because that's what I speak. Those who are loved, let us love. This is how he starts it. It's going to be how he ends it, too, with this phrase. Those who are loved, let us love. And so he starts it with this really deep kind of command uh, to, to us, to the body of believers, to Christians, to those who are loved, meaning us, loved by God, to those who are loved, let us love. And he starts with this deep thing, but he comes back to it, which I love, because he defines the idea of love. And I think he does an excellent job, and he breaks it down in order, and it's so good. And the very first thing that he puts is that love is from God. Verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Those who are, lo- who are loved, let us love. And his very first thing is, love is from God. You can put that one up too, Allie. This is like the basis right here. This is uh, the love from God. Do you, hey, Ali, do you have the point that says uh, love is from God? Awesome. You're the best. Can we thank Allie this morning? Thank you for deciphering the notes. I appreciate that. <laughs> but this is important because he starts it off here by saying God, God is the source of love. Right? God, God is, is the true source. Other things might be the source of some love, but God is the true source of love. I, I think of it this way of like the sun. See, we can see the sun's rays reflected on other things, warming other things, right, and being in other places. We can see the sun here. We can see its effect. We can see how it's, how it's moving, how it's affecting other things. If you look at the moon, you're in many ways seeing the sun. But it is very obvious that the sun is the source of all light, of all that power, of all that radiance. The sun is the source. And so what John is establishing here is that love is from God, is that, is that he is the central a substance and source of love. He is what's starting everything. He is what's filling everything. And you might find a substitute, but it will not sustain like God, right? The substitute will never give you what God can give you, right? The filler is never as great as the Father. That's how it works. Because you, you could get a lamp as a substitute, but it won't beat the sun, right? And so we might see the idea of light reflected in others, just like we see because we're created by God. They're in the image of God that we can see people loving like God because they were created in his image, but it won't be as true and as real and as powerful as the sun, And so what John is establishing is that love is from God. And the word he's using is agape love. You saw in that first phrase, this idea, the the agape love of God. It's selfless, self-sacrificing. It's a powerful love. It's a devoted love. It's more like I don't feel any of those feelings towards the incredible tamales that Sydney brought to my house. But I said, oh, man, I love these, right? But there's a deeper love that's happening here. This love costs something. This love requires stepping into time. This love, this love is, it means something real, the love that God has. And then he goes on to verse 8. He says, because God is love. See, God is the source of love because he is love. You're like, yeah, that's, that's like progressive English. It's linear. Yeah, but it's important. 
Because what it's saying is that is one of the greatest truths, I think, of our time is that God in his being, his identity, his character is love. God has so much love that he is love. God, love is not something that God has for you if you do something. Love is something that God is. Get me here, because this is important. Love is, is it's describing who he is. His holiness is loving. His righteousness is loving. God is love. That means what God does is an expression of his love, which is why I reject this idea that God's throwing a bunch of crud into, <laughs> careful, crud into your life so that you, like, learn some stuff. And then, no, God is loving. God is, even his judgment is based out of love because God in his love is perfect. God is love. And because God is love, that means the more you know of God, the more you know of love. Not just his love, love in general, the true, real, real, real love. The more you know of God, the more you know of love. It's kind of like if somebody knows me, right, and and Katie got to know me, she knows more of who I am. So whatever I am, she's going to know. And whatever is in my character, my nature, my being, she's going to know. It's just, it's just ingrained in relationship. And the same is true about God. The more that you know of God, the more that you know of love because it's ingrained in, in who he is, in his being. It's just like Katie, the more she knew, she's like, oh, I recognize that Josh, you know, has brown eyes. Like it's that obvious with him, right? Because it's so obvious in who he is and what he's about, that means this, and again, it's, it's the formula of what John's writing here. It's the, it's the walking of what he's writing. It's the journey of what he's writing is that means the more we know of God, the more we'll know of love. So if we want to know more love, if we desire more love, real stuff, not pizza love, real love, if we desire more of that in our life, then it starts with knowing more of God. It starts with knowing more of him. It starts with knowing more of his love. It starts with opening his word and discovering what he said about himself. And you begin to read his character. You begin to read who he is. You begin to read his promises. You begin to read what he said about you. You begin to read these things, reflections, that you are a son and daughter of God adopted in. Right? You begin to read these things about how the Lord loves you. You begin to read these things about who God is, and it begins to inform your understanding. You come to presence nights, and you begin to spend time worshiping him and discovering more of him. And as you do, you're not getting some abstract thing of presence and drawing near, blah, blah, blah. You're getting the character of because you're discovering more of God, and he begins to reveal more of the character of his love over your life. And I think one of the best ways we see that God is love is in the immeasurable love he shows in giving Jesus Christ. Right? How do I, how do I really know that God is love, right? Is I, like I just said, I open up my word. And when I open up my word, you're going to find this fully God, fully man person of Jesus Christ. And what you're going to find is that the immeasurable love of God was shown and manifest in Jesus Christ. Because the more that you know God, the more that you know love. And what I love about Christmas, what we celebrate in Advent, is that God sent his son to be Emmanuel, God with us, so that the love of God, literally the love of God in Jesus Christ, would be with us. That we would know it. That he would be with us. And we see in verse 9 through 10, in that same scripture, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest 
among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Couple, couple things here. See, God's love sent Jesus. See, God didn't send Jesus because he needed a workaround. God didn't send Jesus because he was out of options. God didn't send Jesus because he was like, well, I don't know. I don't like that part of the Trinity. Like, that's not how it works. God sent Jesus Christ because God is love, and it was the greatest manifestation of his love for us. What we celebrate is that God loved us so much, right? John 3, 16, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. I like that word begotten. I think it's important, uh, the, the idea of beget, to beget something. It, it's kind of an interesting word. I don't know if your translation sees it. Um, some translations use that begotten or beget uh, word. Uh, but we use the word beget basically to describe something that is exactly the same as us in essential nature and being. That's what it means. When we say beget, God's only begotten son, what he's, what he's saying right here is that Jesus was God. So think about this. I know we're getting this in the Trinity, and I don't want to spend like a million hours here. Uh, but what he's saying is in, in this part of the, that God sent his, in John three sixteen and in 1 John 4, that God sent his son is that you and I were adopted into sonship. But Jesus is the begotten son of God. He is God. He is in the very nature God. He is in the very nature the son of God. So as the Trinity, as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God gave of himself Jesus Christ to suffer for our salvation. He didn't pick some random. He didn't pick somebody. He didn't make up a mannequin, some spiritual shell that he would send down to suffer for us. He sent Jesus Christ. He sent of himself. He sent Jesus to die for us. And I think that's important because sometimes we think of the, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like this. We think of angry Old Testament God. Then we think of nice New Testament Jesus. And then we just ignore the Holy Spirit because people at other churches that do the Holy Spirit stuff are weird. And that's like how, it's, how it is in some places. We don't do that here. <laughs> Um, so surprise. Uh, but this is important that there is no separation is that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are together as one, and they work together and function together, and it'll just mess your mind up. We can talk about it later because I know people are going to ask me questions, and that's, I love that. But what's important here is that, that God is not some angry wrath machine that Jesus is now holding back from slaying you for your sins. And then the Holy Spirit's over here like, anybody want to speak in tongues? <laughs> that's not how it works Christ to die <laughs> they're functioning together and that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us so that he might become sin for us to take our place so that the judgment that would be for us because God is perfect and we are not perfect and perfect and imperfect cannot go together but the judgment that was for us would be covered by the blood of Jesus and that Jesus in ascending sent his Holy Spirit to continue what God has intended, which is in Romans 8.28, to become more like Jesus Christ. And it all works together. It all functions together. It all, it's all together because Jesus is not some separate part that comes in as like a tiny baby and it's like, oh, that works out. Jesus is 
the expression of God's love for you. This is God's plan. This is God's desire. This is his heart from the beginning of time. Jesus is the expression of God's immeasurable love for you. God sent him to you. You didn't even ask. How cool is that? I love this quote by Spurgeon. It says, if there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God. The offender ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. The poor man should ask of him who distributes alms. But herein is love that God sent. He was the first to send an embassy of peace. Embassy of peace. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. And it's funny, the more I talk about the gift of Jesus Christ with people, I realize the more it messes with us as people. This idea of love, the gift of love, the undeserved gift of love, the gift of love you can't work up and earn that was just given to you, that messes with us. I think most, most people in some way, shape, or form have a broken concept of love. Maybe you have an idea that, that love, you got to do something to get it, right? Like, I got to do something. I'm required to, to do something in order to get love. Maybe you, you've never received love or, or real true love. So, that, so the idea of love, it's like, how do I even begin to wrap myself around this idea? Because it's so distant from what I knew growing up or I knew in my life. Maybe you were told what you were being given was love, but it wasn't love. It was a lie. And so the, the enemy, one of his greatest tools and tricks is to distort the idea of love. So when God comes in to define it over our life, we're confused. Most of our life, we think, what do I have to do to earn love? Maybe from a parent or a spouse or a teacher or, or some person, right? What do I have to achieve? What do I have to figure out? What do I have to buy? What do I have to do? And so we get these formulas in our life like, well, just read this this many times a day and kneel down this many times a day. And, do, and I'm not pushing off spiritual disciplines, but I'm talking about earning love and earning salvation. It, it, it's not how Jesus works. Is we think, well, if I could just get this together and do this and this, then, then I'm going I'm to have it together for the, for the love of God in my life because that's what we've always known. We've always known if I do this, if I get, you know, this grade in school, your parents will care for you. Or if I just got the right person in my life and I, and I could keep them happy long enough, then they would love me. Then they would give me affection. If I just earned this much money, then, you know, then I could buy what I want. And that would really bring us together. That would get the love that I'm saying. If I could just prove that I'm successful, you know, then I'll get the love. If I just do whatever my friends want, then I'll get this love. See, we are always trying to do something for it. What's amazing about Jesus Christ as it says, he freely came as the propitiation. That word is a mouthful, but it's important because it means a sacrifice that turns away judgment. He freely came as a sacrifice that turns away judgment. Freely came before you even asked, before you even knew to ask. He freely came as a gift that turns away judgment. And I, and I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. I reference this all the time. But I love this scripture because it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
God freely gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He freely gave out of love, as a gift of love, to show what true love was, to show what love is, to give an example, to break off the the bad examples, to break off the idea of what you got to do to get love, to break off, I got to do this and I got to think this way. And God says, no, let me show you a good and perfect example of the kind of love I'm talking about, sacrificial love for others that you don't got to earn, you don't got to work up for, you don't got to make it, you don't got to make it up. It's it's for you because I love you, because I'm giving you value, because I'm giving you love, because you're precious, and I care for you, and I stepped into eternity as even a baby to change the world for you, for you. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, you see, at just the right time when we were so powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why I love the verse 10. He says, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. He beat you to the punch. He got there before you. He already loves you. So when you're working up to do it, it's like, no, we already did, we already did this, man. I, I did this 2,000 years ago. It's done. It's done. It's handled. It's finished. It's fixed. I, I, I've given you the love. God, I, God's saying he is love. Love comes from him. He gave you love as Jesus Christ. And it's for you. I think it's interesting, though, because we can be a little weird about receiving a gift that we think is too spendy for us. Have you ever gotten something from somebody and been like, ooh, that's a bit much. I don't, we were at a $20 limit, and you went way over the top. See, I'm always worried about this with my wife and Christmas, because she sets a limit, and then she goes bananagrams, and then I don't want to be the guy who got her one thing, you know, so it's like we got we to gotta be careful. But when you get something, you're like, this is a lot, this is too much. I notice that all the time when we'll do outreaches and we'll help others because everybody's really the same and we all respond the same way. When, I, when you give somebody something, they're like, man, yeah, that, that's, that's too much. I can't, I can't take this. And we do that often with salvation because we feel weird. And why? Because we begin, when, we, when you get a gift, you feel like it's too spendy for you. It's because you have a level in your mind and your heart of the value that you think that you're worth. In your mind, you are worth a certain amount based on what people have told you, done to you, experiences you've had, all these things. Some of you are here, some of you are here, some of you are here. Uh, but whatever it is on this, on this thing, you have a value. And so when you're receiving a gift with immeasurable value, it feels weird because you're like, ah, it doesn't match up with who I am. Maybe, God, if you gave me the gift of forgiving me only on days that you felt good, then that feels about equal to my level of value I've placed upon myself. But what God does is when he sends you his son, because remember, God is love and he gives love. When he sent you his son, he establishes your value in that love. And he says, listen, I love you this much because this is how much you're worth. This is how much you're worth to me. And if you're worth this much to me, and I'm God, and I establish value, you're worth this much now. And so this Christmas, when when we celebrate Jesus, and now we're celebrating not just that he sent his son down to us, but that he lifted us up here and said, you're worth this much. You're worth this much to me so that I send you the fullness of my love, the fullness of my love for you. He not only gives you the gift, he gives you the value. 
He not only gives you the gift of love, he gives you the value that comes with that love. That's why my daughter, when she gets a gift from me, she doesn't think twice because she knows how much I value her. And when God's talking about being a father, that's what he means, is that he values us as his precious child. And maybe you didn't get that example. That's why he's trying to send his son to show you that example, that he values you like, like you should have been valued, like you should have been loved, like you should have been treated. And he sends his son down, and he goes, hey, I, I know that no one taught you that you were loved and valued, so I'm going to show you with the greatest sacrifice in the world to say, this is how much you love. When you look at the cross, look at how much I love you. When you look at baby Jesus in the manger, sweet, tiny baby Jesus, look at how much I love you. When you look at the empty tomb, look at how much I love you. Look at how much I love you. This is why we even celebrate Advent, right? 2,000 years ago, Jesus won the gift exchange for all time. (laughs) Jesus goes to a gift exchange. It's like socks, candles, salvation. Man, (laughs) Like, we said $20, Jesus. He can't help himself. And it comes back to this idea at the end of the scripture. Those who are loved, let us love. See, how do we know if we really receive this great love? Because it's, it's good to talk about the love, but the key that we started that we also got to end on is, is this idea, those who are loved, let us love. How do we know if we receive this great love? Is it because um, you've read your Bible that, you know, four times this week, you know, so good job. Now you will receive the love, right? Oh, only two times this week. No love for you this week, right? Is it, is it, is it participation? Is, is it following through? I mean, disciplines are really key and important. Obviously, read your Bible. It's the word of God. It should enlighten this. But, but it's, it's the right formula. See, the Pharisees did all of the acts. But when they encountered John the Baptist, he said to them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, What does that mean? I think it informs understanding here because fruit is a symbol of growth and of life, right? The fruit of the Spirit shows that you you have the Spirit within you, is working within you, right? If you plant a peach tree and no peaches grow on that tree, you're going to think this might not be a healthy tree. If lemons start growing on it, you're like, somebody lied to me. This tree's a liar. It's not a peach tree. There's just the clarity of nature and of life that we get mixed up in our own is what if you have received the love of God, the outward expression, if you really know him, if you've really seen that love, if you've really encountered the depth, it might look differently every season. You might produce some fruit one season. It was a harsh winter, so not a lot of fruit the next season, but you're still showing what God has begun to do in your life, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning receiving the love that God has given you, repent of our sins and turning to him. And so in verse 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, where God is present, there will be love. Where God is present, there will be love. In your life, in your home, in this church, Where God is present, there will be love. That's why we do present nights. It's not because we don't believe that God is with us. It's because we believe that there is a deeper and a breadth and a width and a depth to his love that we want to keep discovering more of. And where the presence of God is, his love is. 
where the presence of the Lord is, his love is. And as we enter his presence, we encounter his love, and it stirs up his love within us, and it moves us to worship. See, I have meetings all the time, especially when I was a worship pastor with people that would come in, and guys would meet with me and say, man, I just, I don't like worship. I don't like worship. I just don't feel like singing. And I'd say, you know, that that's okay. But worship is a heart issue before it's a mouth or a mind issue. It's about the heart, which is if you're broken like me, and I'll just speak for myself, so I'll close my eyes. I don't need anybody. If you're broken like Josh is, and you needed a Savior, and he saved you, wouldn't it stir something? If you really knew him, if you really knew that love, now you may not hate, you might hate these songs. You'd be like, oh my gosh, Christmas songs? Just get to January. Whatever it is, you might, you might dislike it, but it should stir something inside of you to desire more. That's how it works. That's what the Bible says. It should, should stir something inside of us for more because where God is present, there will be love, and love just stirs us into worship. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we do presence nights. That's why we sing before. And I think it's so true that you can tell where the presence of God is based off where the love is, right? You can tell when God is present in a church. You can tell when God is just so clearly moving in someone's life because love is moving. Kind of regardless of situations, you see churches that are getting persecuted and killed daily, and yet the love of God is still there. His presence is still there. His presence is still there. And that's really it for us as followers of Christ. The mark of a Christ follower is abiding in God's presence and his love and pouring that love out on others, right? It's not power. It's not charisma, right? It's not those things. That's not what marks us as a church. It's not systems. It's not a building. As an individual, it's not your wealth. It's not your finances. It's not your family status. What marks you as a Christian is not all of these things. What marks you as a follower of Christ is the abiding presence of God's love in your life, You don't have to be the most powerful. You don't have to be the most charismatic. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to feel like, oh, my family's now together and everything's working. Christ talks all the time about suffering. Christ suffered. So if the answer to God's love is never suffering, then Jesus didn't have it. But he did. He had the love of God. And so in the, what, what John is trying to get us to realize is that our desire is to know more of God. And in knowing more of God, we'll know, we'll know the truth. We'll really know that what he has given us in Jesus Christ and the love that came with us. And when we know that love, when we really know that love, it will inspire us to become that love. It will stir something inside of us. And that's why he says, those who are loved, let us love. Those who are love, let us love. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. And I love, the, I love this stirring from John. And, and here, again, I, I just want to clarify. Is that why John is writing this is because he desires, just like all who, who have been writing and inspired by the Lord and, and guided by the Holy Spirit, desires for us to grab a hold of something real. To not only know real love, but to be real love. Because the world takes real, authentic love. The counterfeit, it just doesn't last. The hype, it just doesn't last. The real love of God lasts. And so when we come and we come together, our desire is not, God, hype me up so I can love this song. It says, God, give me a deeper revelation of your love. Because I need it. 
We were praying this morning, God, would you stir up a generation? Would you stir up a church that desires to see a deeper revelation of the love of God in their life? Because the substitute is not cutting it. And we're using the word, but we don't know what it means. And so we're praying, God, would you be present in our lives? Because where you're present, there is love. And I need that revelation of your love in my life. Because it's hard to just wake up and choose, like, now I'm going to be love. <laughs> Good luck. Think about that. God's love is so powerful. It says that while we were still enemies to him, he gave his son for us. I'm going to tell you right now, I would have a very hard time sending my son or my daughter for the sake since I have a daughter. I would have a hard time sending my daughter to an enemy that I know would curse, abuse, mistreat, and kill her for their salvation. Anyone else think that's crazy? That's crazy. But that's because of the immeasurable love of God. And to willingly go and do that, that's crazy too for Jesus. But that's because of the immeasurable love of Jesus. That Jesus knew that he would suffer and die. But it was, listen, we gotta get people. He prays in Luke, God, Father, help them to know that you love them as much as you love me. As he desires, that the intent was to walk, to live in communion with his love. And can I tell you, if you desire to be loved, then you gotta get a deeper revelation of his love. You're not gonna get it by earning it or working it or doing certain things. It comes from him. And it comes from a revelation from him to give you more. And you say, God, I need to know more of you. I need to know more of you because I need more of your love. I've felt unloved. I felt like I haven't got the love. I feel like I've never received real, true, powerful love from you, Jesus. I need that. And as you begin to get that revelation, it fuels you, it sends you, it empowers you. You could spend years in the church trying to work it up, trying to get there. Then you're like, okay, now I know really how to worship so no one looks at me because my hands are in my pockets. I'm really doing it now. <laughs> now we're doing it. But that's not going to do anything. You need a revelation of God's love for your life. And that starts here. That's how we celebrate in Advent. It's 2,000 years ago. God gave you the greatest manifestation and example of how much he loves you. And now it's your job to simply receive and respond. And I believe, this is why I believe, this is why this is why we have the confidence in ministries. I believe as you respond to that love, as you walk out that love, and all these other things, they come in line with that. The spiritual disciplines, the things in your life, the character building, it comes in line with that. Because you start with God is love. Love is from God. So those who are loved, let us love. <laughs>